From the Faculty of Graduate Studies at York University, this is Grad Life. I'm Will Sloan. From Tiananmen Square in 1989, to the 1997 handover, to the 2014 Umbrella Movement, to the ongoing protests that have dominated the city this year, a Hong Kong cartoonist has spent 40 years chronicling China and Hong Kong's many social and political tensions. Wang Keiquan, better known by his pen name Shunji, is Hong Kong's best-known political cartoonist, and also one of its longest-lasting. His work for the Chinese-language newspaper Ming Pao is highly critical of the People's Republic and its encroaching influence on Hong Kong, both before and after the 1997 reunification with the mainland. Shunxi is at York University this week for the opening of the career-spanning exhibition Now What? Civil Movements Through a Cartoonist's Eyes. The exhibition is presented by the York Center for Asian Research and the Department of Design in the School of Arts, Media, Performance, and Design in the fourth-floor corridor of the Victor Philip Dadala Building at York. On Friday, November 8th, a day-long series of panels, speeches, and discussions will contextualize the show. I spoke to Shunxi about his career in his city, alongside the exhibition's curator, Professor Wendy Wong. I'm actually going to start with a question for Wendy, uh, because I I know he's modest. You mentioned at the launch that you grew up reading his cartoons in in Hong Kong. Could you talk a little bit about what his work meant to you and what it it means to the city? Mm, Yeah. Well, what I noticed when I was studying the secondary school, which is high school here, he has a daily editorial cartoon in Ming Pao, which is more like an intellectual positions newspaper. Mm. So it's, you know how editorial cartoons work like a, like a summary of what most important of the news that day, mm-hmm. and also serving as the, the editorial positions of the newspaper. So it's like when I got the newspaper, <laughs> Ming Pao, which I'm the reader, so the first thing that I would look for is his editorial cartoon <laughs> to kind of indicate what was the most important of the day of that uh, yeah, news. How did you start writing for that newspaper? I studied fine arts in Chinese University in Hong Kong. And by the time, actually, uh, lost it time between the downfall of Gang of Four, if you know, someone knows about it, it's about mm-hmm. the cultural revolution, the end of cultural revolution, and uh, when Mao Zedong died, and then uh, there's a flip of a political situation in China. So that was the time when I was in university. We participated with, in, in the student union and do some small potato job. So that was the time when I started to know more about the politics in China and about Hong Kong. And after I graduated, I teach in secondary school for a year, and then I go to the uh, work for Ming Pao. In the examples of your work that we see in the exhibition, you always have, I suppose, a a caustic attitude towards Beijing and the PRC. Mm -hmm. Have your politics evolved in 40 years? Not quite, actually, because... uh, after the Gang of Four, we suddenly noticed that uh, our position in Hong Kong, there was a time actually, uh, uh, not afterwards, not, not too long afterwards, uh, there was a negotiation about the Hong Kong's uh, future. Mm-hmm. So by that time, the Hong Kong people started to argue, saying that we should be uh, more uh, aware of our own uh, rights on, on democracy and uh, freedom, things like that. Uh, they would figure out that uh, after 
the British receded, then if China comes down here, what will happen? And as we know that by that time, China has only just escaped from that turmoil in, in Cultural Revolution and Deng Xiaoping took power again. And he promised to say that uh, Hong Kong will be remain the same. And, and also in China, they are going to have a uh, economic reform in China. So we, we projected that Hong Kong will be uh, more like uh, uh, avant-garde in, in that sense of uh, changing China. It will be the sophisticated city that China follows. It follows that's right. its example. That that's right. That's right. We're trying to do that. Uh, be with that kind of position. We we um, we think that we ca- we might be able to do that. And and a lot of our, our colleagues of our generation thinks like that too. When we have the patriotic, but not uh, uh, for the communism. Now that doesn't seem to be what has happened. Mm. A recurring theme in your work is this idea of brainwashing. There are several comics that Mm. show sort of the influence that Beijing can exert in the school system or Mm. in the media. Could you talk a bit about how that process has manifested itself in the last 10 or 15 years? Yes, uh, of course, uh, we know that uh, after after the handover, the I mean, a bit uh, before the handover, we have the uh, negotiation between China and Britain, and a lot of uh, saying that uh, from China promising that Hong Kong will, be ha- will have a one country, so-called one country, two systems, and you're going to retain what you have had, that uh, way of life, and then the, the uh, educational system, the freedom of press. These are the things they promised, but in 2003. They tried to uh, enact a new law about the, uh, the national security law in Hong Kong. And that was the time that, that was the time when people start to think, wow, what, what is that? And then they studied the content and found that, well, that would be a, a breakthrough for, for the Chinese to uh, dip their hand in Hong Kong. So that is the time when we start to have people have rallies in, Hong, in, in, in the streets. And uh, before that, we don't have this kind of big rally. But that time, when we were against that law, uh, there were about uh, 500,000 people in the street. That was the uh, tremendous, uh, astonishing uh, amount of number by that time. So the Chinese government started to realize that, wow, Hong Kong people are not that tame. So mm-hmm. they're trying to, so they, they start to rethink of how they are going to rule this uh, untamed place. Uh, so they start to uh, bit by bit have people from China to come to Hong Kong and then uh, changing some some different people uh, in, in, in the top position, especially after the uh, Tiananmen Square massacre. So uh, that was the time they started to uh, dip their hand in, in Hong Kong and, and education is one of the what they think they should do. So the uh, after a certain period, they would um, they say that oh, we are going to have a, a so-called a national nationalism uh, educational uh, textbook, mm-hmm. in which we could see that all the things that we th- thought that um, uh, should be in inside they were vanished. What is what we think that shouldn't be there, they were there. You work in the media and many of the cartoons. You've done cartoons on the Umbrella Movement, Mm -hmm. on the recent protests, cartoons that would be hard to imagine Mm -hmm. uh, being published in Beijing or Shanghai. How free is the press in Hong Kong right now, and how much pressure do you feel? Are are you able to operate in relative freedom? Before 97, a lot of uh, reporters from all around the world 
came to Hong Kong and they tried to witness what is going to happen in the first few years. And then after the first few years, nothing has happened. Everything goes fine. Um, but we could assess people living in Hong Kong would find that more and more. They, we, we, we used to have a, about the 15 newspaper in Hong Kong, uh, which is uh, quite uh, as a variety of different kind of voices. But uh, after 97, bit by bit, they changed, they lean on the other side, they mm. lean on the Chinese side. And until now, there's only, only uh, we would say that only one and a half newspaper, that is democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, so so uh, these are the only two newspapers that I'm working in. So for the others, they already changed. They, they, they kick away their, their own cartoonists or they uh, don't allow any new cartoon come in. Or when they find new cartoonists, they would say that, oh, we are going to, you can only draw this kind of uh, things instead of uh, politics. How much of that is direct government intervention and how much of that is advertisers worried about alienating the mainland? In Hong Kong, the political system, I mean, the, 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 yes, the, the uh, political system is that uh, the, the Hong Kong businessmen are quite rely on the, the uh, market in China. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, given a different kind of position in China. I mean, uh, not quite the real, real form of a position, but there's some nominated as a mayor of uh, things like that. They very, really, very rely on Chinese uh, market, and when they would have calls from the Chinese uh, representative in Hong Kong, they would usually bow to to their request. I see. That's the situation. If you uh, if you're allowed to have this kind of uh, information or, or or news run into the newspaper, then you pr- probably receive a call at night. Hmm. How has your relationship to your audience evolved over the years? Do people get angrier at your work now? Do people support your work more? Well, as a cartoonist who work at home, uh, I, what I face is only a, a screen and then a small place, a, a small table. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know really know what's outside. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really get in touch with uh, readers. But uh, every year, mostly every year, uh, there will be uh, some some people asking me to give talks in university or in secondary schools about about cartoon. And in Raleigh, when I when we go to the street, then people come to me. Ah, I've, I've been reading your cartoon. I like your cartoon. These are the the, the the only reaction I can get from from a reader. You um, mentioned that your politics have been consistent over the years. How has your art changed? Your technique? Of course, uh, from the first uh, when when I started my career in the eighties, uh, early eighties, I used to draw new on paper and then uh, just give the paper to the uh, people to scan into it and then making the film and mm. all the process. I, I work in the newspaper newsroom and then and people would say, is that all right now? It's about time. So I have to try to prepare <laughs> and then give it to them. But now, uh, I, I think in the 20 years ago, about, yes, about 20 years ago, we start to use computer. At first, I, I still managed to draw on paper and then scan it into the computer and then color it and then send it out. But now I uh, actually directly draw on, on, on computer and then just mm. push the button and it goes out. It's, it'll be quicker, a little bit quicker, mm. but the process is more or less the same actually when, mm. when, you think, when you generate the ideas, it's more or less the same. Wendy, how did this exhibition come about? 
Well, of course, this started with the what happened in or after uh, the anti-extradition uh, bill that's uh, kind of roughly with the major rally starting the June, June 9th. And then, uh, so I was in Hong Kong and uh, because of one of my research areas on the Hong Kong comic history, so I kind of know him indirectly. <laughs> so the, well, through the introduction of friends of my friend, and so we, when I was in Hong Kong in this summer, we have been talking about well, how about organize his kind of retrospective well here in Toronto, mm-hmm. and so that is how it started, and and I'm well fortunate enough to have some support from Weicker in terms of the funding, and so that's why we can bring him here. How long are you here in Toronto? I think, uh, uh, well, I I took the opportunity to take my wife and my kid to here to have Mm -hmm. a look and um, to see something other than Hong Kong, because in Hong Kong what we see now is only brutally battened by by police, the people right. are all blood blooded. So so we took this opportunity to come outside and have a look out from outside. You saw Niagara Falls, you told me. Yeah, I saw it, <laughs> yes. And on one way actually actually it's is quite quite difficult. When we see Niagara Falls, we see all the things are happening in in, in the tourist uh, area and all. Everyone is happy, but when you go back home, you just click on your computer and, and or your iPhone, you see the news happening in 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 Hong Kong. Oh, it's you so, can smell them. Yeah, so it's so it's so brutal, it's so bloody. And, yeah, with you know, the tear gas everywhere. I, we live in Taikusheng, it's an area, it's a yeah. residential area. The one who is the uh, counselor in there, he was bitten away his 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 ear wow. <laughs> by a pro-China supporter. My God, <laughs> how optimistic are you for the future of Hong Kong? Well, yes, uh, I am a little bit not not like the other young younger Protestants. I think mm-hmm. is that I've been in this job for uh, about forty years. And I see ups and downs, and seeing the umbrella movement uh, got crashed, and then uh, people got into jail, and some some of my friends were in jail. But before that, there are still a lot of other movement, and also we know that some some people in China who are part, uh, who are also against the government, they were put to jail, and and they were we, we always follow the news, and we find that. Uh, Things are quite unpredictable, actually. I think uh, it's a kind of calculation. The Chinese government try to calculate, but they can't calculate all. Things always change into different directions. And I think uh, this time, Hong Kong becomes uh, this kind of turmoil in Hong Kong. I think it's a kind of miscalculation by China, too. Mm-hmm. So there are miscalculation everywhere, every time. So if if what we are facing now might turn out to be another another chapter, we might there are some hopes might be, we don't know. Might be a turning point. It might be a turning might point. Might not be, but that's right. Yeah. So what we could do is to try to uh, try to push hard and then try to walk every steps one by one uh, forwardly, and then we just wait for a chance. Wendy, what else is happening at the exhibition? Apart from uh, Junzi uh, co- uh, cartoon political cartoon show, we are going to have other um, like talks more on the uh, intellectual exchange, academic exchange. One that will be on November eighth, and um, this is one by our keynote speaker Lenek Ong of uh, U of T. 
among center, she will analyze about what happening in the in the ongoing youth-led movement mm -hmm. uh, protests, and then so we will have a roundtable discussions, which is mainly we deliberate to have uh, to invite younger group. Let's say the Lu San, who is like a overseas Hong Kong Chinese Hong Konger and uh, abroad, and then we have another group on Hong Kong's overseas uh, students studying abroad on their graduate study and so on. So this roundtable discussions, we hope to listen the younger voice. You know, not just old folks like us talk about that. And then uh, in the and the one by eight start at six o'clock, so we will have. Well, kind of the talk, and and Jinji would talk about uh, his work and and how that reflected through uh, the civil movement mm -hmm. uh, through his work. And there's one thing, just like a really quick, sure, crap about the history of Hong Kong. Oh yeah, because just now you mentioned that you said in, in mainland. So what happened about the quick history of Hong Kong? Hong Kong officially become British colony in 1842 mm -hmm. after the uh, signing of Nanjing uh, Treaty. And then it was only for a short period of time, from 1939 to three years and eight months, that we were called, during the Second World War to mm. Japan. And then after that, British regained Hong Kong as continued as a colony, mm. and until 97, because of the treaty. So what happened before 49, 1950 mm. is the border. People can still travel freely. And I know that in the 50s, 60s, 70s, the population exploded yes, in Hong Kong. Yes, mainly that's uh, uh, escape from China. Just mm -hmm. like my parents, they escaped from, from China because of the communist rule. And then uh, after the 50s, like 1949, and Hong Kong actually kind of cut off from mainland China. But culturally, because of our, our parents and they all have their, their background, and uh, the British government actually not suppressing like learning Chinese, learning Chinese history, and they even allowed the, the left left group, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, the CCP newspaper organizations established in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So that being like not cut off, right? And so that's making a very... Uh, very cosmopolitan. Yes, kind of. So what I want to say is that kind of background for people to understand why Hong Kong is coming from on the 1984 the John Declarations and Hong Kong people who born in Hong Kong, like we did not take any part in the negotiations. Mm -hmm. And in that period of time, I think we have a term and some people may not be agree, so-called a democratic return. And so that is believing when China economic develop and that democracy, you know, will be improved, you know, something like that. Right. And uh, yeah, so that had been like for us, born and grew up and educated in Hong Kong is totally different from China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the, the mainland people, they don't understand that Hong Kong have that traditions of mm -hmm. not having their common style of education. So that is like another way of saying about the ideology difference. They not allow Hong Kong to be Hong Kong, mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of. And also it's another saying, um, one country, two system is not new because that's what happened in Tibet mm -hmm. in the 50s. Mm -hmm. But uh, CCP promised Tibet to have the autonomy, but what happened is result of Dalai Lama have to escape, leave uh, uh, Tibet. It's, it seems interesting to me that these sort of nationalist curriculums have been introduced since the turn of the millennium, and yet it is also 
primarily youth who are leading these protest movements. So they have grown up with a more People's Republic influenced school system, and yet they seem to be rebelling against it. I'm not sure what to make of that uh, or how to reconcile those facts. D- do you have any insight? Well, maybe you know better than me. The thing is that uh, Hong Kong still has an information flow, freedom of inf- information flow. The people of Hong Kong uh, knows what is happening in China and uh, knows about this situation, uh, about the uh, suppression of activists in China during the past 30 years. They would have known about Tiananmen, of course. Tiananmen, they knew about it, and then when they, whenever they, they want to know it, they can see it in the internet. Mm-hmm. And in the school where, where they have uh, lessons, and, and in the lessons they would talk about the social system, uh, the difference between Hong Kong and China, the youngsters will know about it. and. Um, Although they don't, they don't have to give any uh, real um, directions to the, to, the, to the youngsters. They already know that uh, what, what is the main difference in China and Hong Kong, uh, especially the freedom of expression, the freedom of press. Uh, they know that when they ever go to China, they can't use Facebook, they can't, use, they can't see YouTube, and they would naturally question what, what had happened. And, then, and that is why they, they, the youngsters, like the other other places in the world, they they were not brainwashed. Actually, not brainwashed by the Chinese government. Actually, in China, they really has the great war to really uh, uh, contain contaminated all these youngsters in, in China for 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 that thirty years. Mm-hmm. So the young men grow up in China after after the uh, Tiananmen Square. They really know nothing about what has happened on that on that year. The one aspect of Hong Kong culture that I know about is film. Mm-hmm. And in the years leading up to 1997, mm. obviously there was so much anxiety about 1997, but so few of the films that were being made directly addressed it. Some of the films obliquely addressed it, but not directly. Yeah. And I'm curious if you have any insight into uh, whether that was the same in the other arts. Was there some sort of a taboo towards directly addressing that through the arts, or was it just in that particular commercial media? To me, I think that it's very uh, particular on film industry because it involves too many, too much money, and uh, also the Chinese, the China has a big market, and Hong Kong really can't survive uh, by by filming a film just with the uh, audience of, of this this small place. Mm-hmm. So they would the target on on mainland China. Mm-hmm. So a lot of directors actually they they lose their job and then they can't find any anyone to invest the the, the film. And also, of course, the economy has changed, and a lot of people who are rich actually rely on Chinese market. When they invest on, on this film media, they have restraint. But the other arts, say literature or visual art, addressed it more directly? They addressed it very directly. Well, again, thanks so much for being here. For more information on the Faculty of Graduate Studies, go to gradstudies.yorku.ca. Thanks for listening.